This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. And Taylor, I try and keep up in my mind with where I think you are with the book and what's going on, and I think it's probably about time for you to get those pages back where you go through and proof things. Yes, that's exactly where I am in time. Um, I've received, uh, so the copy edits are done. We're talking about Liar's Legacy, which is the second in the, the Jack and Jill series. And the copy edits are done. And now I receive pages back. They're actual physical pages, not digital, where it's normal letter size paper, but it's printed as how it will look inside the book, including the title pages and all the extra copyright pages. It's, it is the book printed out on normal size paper. And so I'm supposed to go through and, you know, it's like a last chance to find typos, things that aren't right. And in, with my previous publisher, this was a two-step process. I would get it once and then do this and then get it a second time and then be done with it. This process, this time I only get one shot at it. And it, it terrifies me every single time because there's so much that you really only see the first time you lay eyes on it in book format. You know, you've been working on with it digitally the whole time, or even if you print it out, you're still working with it as a, a manuscript, not as a book. And this is the first time you actually get to see it. It looks completely different. And I'm kind of OCD about white space and where the lines fall. And I'll fiddle with that stuff in the manuscript because of my OCD brain. And then it gets all changed and it doesn't necessarily get changed for the better when it gets put into book format. And so the, I'm supposed to be making as few changes as possible. Like you're not supposed to get into whole rewrites or anything like that. But because of what happened with the writing process where I've only read this book beginning to end, I think twice, once before I submitted it and once in the copy edit process. And they were not just straight read throughs smooth because I'm constantly, I was constantly fixing things along the way. So now I see it printed out and I'm just like, oh my God, this is horrible. And it's not. <laughs> but to me it is, you know, it's, there's so many things that bother me. And so I'm not supposed to be fixing things, but I am, and I'm probably going to have to send this like super long apology letter to the production team. Like here's some gift cards for Starbucks or whatever. I'm so sorry because I cannot help myself. I'm just like, I can't have this put out to the world the way that it is because it's got my name on it. And, and I'm not even doing as much as I want to. It's like, if I find a page where something has to be fixed, well, then I'm going to fix everything on that page that I possibly can. But if it's a page that is, if it's a page that there's really just a couple things and I, I just like force myself to let them go. I'm just like, I can't, I can't touch them. You know, I've got to at least not touch half of these pages. So yeah, that's the process that I'm in right now. So this poor person is, is going through expecting typo changes and they're going to just flip the page and, and find a page with like 19 things on it? Yes. But it's, it's stuff like switch these paragraphs around, you know, cut this paragraph here, move this to a new paragraph, you know, a few wording changes or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's probably definitely way more work. Not on every single page. Some pages where 
making fixes is just like crossing out a couple words or, you know, changing the punctuation in a sentence or two. But, yeah, it's way more probably than what they're expecting. And this will be the last time you see it, right? Or this is the last time yes. you see it until the arcs yes. come out? Yes. Well, and, but the thing is, the arcs won't even be made off of what I'm doing now. The arcs get made off of the what comes right out of copy editing. Oh, okay. So, right. so yeah, it's not even like the arcs. Are, there's still more coming after that. So, yeah, I, it's. I say, unfortunately, this is the last time I'm going to see it. And then there's a part of me that's like, fortunately, too, I don't ever have to see this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have questions about this, but I don't want to get in the way of today's topic, which is Q&A. So we have actual questions from actual people, and we're going to get to those next. All right, first question. And this is something that I've struggled with, so I'm really curious to hear your take on this. And it's, it's essentially, I'm going to paraphrase the question, but can you, it, it, when you're writing a story, is it okay to just have a scene or a chapter or something that the only reason it's there is to establish character personality? Hmm. <laughs> it's funny that this question came in at this time because I actually kind of went on a similar rant about the same topic a couple weeks ago to somebody that I was um, explaining about uh, a story issue that they were having. Um, yeah, the short answer is no. You absolutely should not do that in, in writing a book. Now, the reason why I think we think we should is because that's how movies work. Um, let's use an action or a thriller uh, movie as an example. Um, oftentimes, you will see a character, especially when there's multiple characters in the story. And they will introduce these characters before the actual story starts. So... Um, let's say the A-Team, for example. I just watched like the first 15 minutes of that a, a week or so ago. And it starts off introducing, um, I guess he's the colonel. I think he's a colonel, right? Um, the guy who leads the team. And he's in Mexico and, um, you know, he's getting his butt kicked. And then it shows him escaping and heading his way towards someone else, somewhere else. And then it shows... Uh, the next guy, and he's, you know, interrupting some kind of car theftering, uh, and there's a big fight because he's trying to get his van back. And then the next guy, who's this, and the next guy's that, is showing them in all these different situations that really have nothing to do with the actual plot of the story. Because that is how, in thrillers, in movies, you introduce the characters. Or you'll have, um, in, a, in a slower movie, you know, you'll sometimes show the character at his workplace, um, you know, coming is my character study, you know, he's coming home to an empty house and it doesn't really have anything to do with what's going to happen next, but you're just kind of showing his life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how movies work. And most times when authors come to writing stories, when they're first starting, uh, movies are their biggest reference, even if there's they're avid readers, because the visuals of a well-written story are so intense and they feel like movies in your head, the immediate uh, conclusion is that movies and the movies in your head are brought about by the same mechanism, but they're not. So watching movies uh, is a very passive experience where the visuals are fed to you. So everything you know or see about the character is fed to you through your eyes and your ears, through dialogue and through the things those characters do. You're never inside the character's heads at all. 
in a in a book, you are given nothing except the words on the page. Your imagination has to create those movies. And so the more vivid the storytelling is, is the, the more vivid the movies in your head are going to do, but it's entirely active. There's nothing passive about reading. Your brain has to create those images out of nothing. And often we it comes about because you are feeling what the character feels and seeing what the character sees. So it's two completely different opposite, actually, processes for creating that mental movie and engaging the emotions. So when you try and do the same thing that they do in movies where you um, have a scene directly, just, just because you're trying to show the character in a certain way, it's completely redundant because you're in that character's head. You don't need to show who that character is because you're in their head. So everything about the character and how who the character is and how the character responded, responds to things is in direct relation to what they're experiencing in the story. So if you have chapters or scenes that are specifically about showing a, a character's personality, well, what's your story about? You should be seeing that the whole point of the story is to show the character's personality. Like you're guiding them through this story and how they react to everything is the story. That is how we get involved with the character. So having a scene that's completely not related to that, just to show who the character is, why? Like, that's what writing the story is for. So I think it's also because people confuse plot and character. People think that, oh, the, the plot is action and the character is more just knowing their feelings or whatever. And it's not. Plot is character, character is plot. They're two completely separate things, but they're so entwined that if you have one without the other, it's it's going to fall flat. If you have all character and no action, no movement, and by action I don't mean uh, crash, bang, smash, I mean movement. Something is happening. If you have character and nothing is happening and nothing in that scene is connected to the the story itself, then that half of half of that scene is missing. If you have all the action, uh, whether you're getting a character from place to place or whether you're having the crash boom bang, and you don't have the character's inner world involved in that, then again, you only have half the story. And so you you lose the the impact, the emotional impact, the visual impact of what that scene is really all about. And I think, and I could be mistaken, but this is what I think as as I sort of try and analyze this, that if you end up in a situation as a writer where you are trying, you, I guess where you need to create scenes or you feel you need to create scenes to show the character's personality, well, then that means your story, your plot, and your character are misfit because the character should be driving the plot. And if, and that's where we would see their personality. And so if we're not seeing their personality in the plot, then they're being forced to behave or do something that is contrary to their true nature because the plot is requiring them to do it. That's contrived. Now, you can sometimes run into a situation where you don't really have your main point. You, you want to show a character who is not your main point of view character. And 
And so it's like, well, maybe I can create a scene where this other character is in it to show who that character is. But the same concept applies. If you have a, another character who's not like your main POV character and they matter to the story, well, then we should be seeing them in the story and their personality in the story as it relates to the story. It, it to, to just put a... Um, it, it, okay, I'm trying to explain this. Let's say you have um, a white uh, um, canvas, like for painting, right? And you have this, you're, you're painting this, this landscape. And everything in the landscape, it connects. You don't have trees over here and a mountain over here and a lake over here and then just a bunch of white space in between. That's not how a landscape works. So, you know, the trees are on the mountains and the mountain is, cre is, is connected to the lake or whatever. That is your painting. That's your portrait. That's your, that's your story right there. And let's say you have that whole thing all nice and then up in the left-hand corner, all you have is white and then a big red blotch. That's the equivalent of creating a scene specifically to show your character that's not related to the story, that's not connected to the story. You have this beautifully connected, interwoven uh, painting and a big red block that has nothing to do with anything. Why would you do that? I'm thinking of different books that I've read, and I'm, I may be thinking of something that's completely different than what you're talking about. So I'm curious um, as to what you think about this idea. Uh, there's a series of books that I read, for example, and I can't think of the I can think of the author's name, but I'm not going to toss it out there. I really enjoyed the, this particular gentleman's work, but he always starts the story, and these are mystery thriller adventure type books. He always starts the story with a scene that shows, especially in the first book of the new series, that shows the the point of view character's unique capability. And so there's, there's like, for example, a case that's very quickly solved or just wrapped up. It starts in the middle of it. It's wrapped up. And then the story uh, begins after that. So you're not showing the personality. You're showing the competence. Is that the same thing or is, it, is that a different thing? You know, look, I have my opinion and that's it, right? So if somebody else is doing something and it works for them and the readers are enjoying it and loving it, far be it from me to say, you should do it my way. But my opinion, since I've been asked for it, is why? Why do that? It's, it's wasted words. It's, wa it's filler. Um, again, I'm not trash-talking that author. I don't know who the author is. Obviously, whatever they're doing, it works. But my advice is to aspiring authors and people who are looking to find their voice and who are struggling to figure out how to make their books work. And, and that's just, it's filler. Readers, with this exception, you know, that, that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. readers expect everything to tie together. Like, when you get into somebody's head, it, it, it all has to fit and be related that's just how if you if you open up a book just at random you don't know the author and you don't know their style and there hasn't been anything in that opening scene or two that leads in to what's going to happen next 
your automatic assumption as you start reading about these characters is that's what this story is about. Somehow this is going to relate to what's happening. And if it doesn't, or if it's not cleverly tied off so that you're very clear that, oh, that's what that was, okay, then there's just sort of this expectation that it's still coming. And then when it's not there, it feels very empty and frustrating. It's like the same concept of putting that rifle on the mantle. It's a, mm-hmm. a writing example that's in, I forget who started it. But, you know, if you put a, a, a rifle on the mantle at the beginning of the story and you show that to the reader, you've got to use that rifle at some point in the story because that's the expectation. If you showed it to them, then it matters. So if you're showing things to them that don't matter, then those expectations don't get filled. Don't get filled. It becomes a very sort of um, not fully fulfilling reading experience. And um, I can think of a book actually where this happened not to this degree. So um, it's the second trilogy, it's the second book in the Passage trilogy, I think it is, um, which I love those books, by the way. So I'm not trash talking the author, but I do know that some of the worst reviews or the most worst reader disappointment that was expressed online is because of this issue. So in the second um, book, you spend the first hundred or so pages um, fully involved in some characters' lives, and then they all die basically, more or less. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, Not all of them, but some of them do. And you're so mad because those were the best characters. They were just awesome. But the thing is, is they were still connected to the story. It was sort of like a prequel that kind of showed you what happened leading up to the characters that you started with in the original book. So even then, like it was connected, there was no disconnect. It answered a lot of questions about how things happened, how things got to the way they, the way they were. And if it had been a standalone book or if it had ha- been put um, ahead before the story started, probably readers would not have complained because they would have understood. But the way that it was done, it really was frustrating. So when you started the next page, it was like starting a whole new book. Like you, you no longer had any of those characters to carry. It was just like what, and then it was it was maddening. Um, so, and that was with a story that it did connect, right? So imagine doing that with something that is completely disconnected. You're going to get that same sense of dissatisfaction in your readers, and it's wasted words and wasted space when it's not even related to the story. As with everything, there's always exceptions to the rule. Now, I know in, in my own situation and in some of my own writing, I will just get really enthusiastic about the idea of something, and I will just stick it in there um, because I want to show something, whether it's a personality trait or uh, a location or something, and you will inevitably <laughs> highlight the whole thing and delete it <laughs> and say, this does nothing for the story or something to that effect. I don't it's say it nicer like than that. that. <laughs> it's nicer than that. But this doesn't move the story forward. Okay, so that's true, but it's not that those things are bad. It's just they are not meant for the story in that place or time. So, you know, you're in the middle of movement and you're middle of figuring something out. And then all of a sudden it'll take this like jackknife detour and then come back. And so for the reader, 
while that stuff might be interesting, it, it interrupts the story flow. And you have, you know, pretty much all stories, you have limited words, limited space. And if you want the space to give your characters room to breathe and come alive and bring all these other little, you know, tidbits and conversations or whatever out and deepen the story, you're going to have to cut somewhere. So like with me, I focus on thrillers, right? And thrillers are traditionally considered very plot-centric. It's very, very complicated and difficult to have a thriller that is character-centric, which is what I write, is character-centric thrillers. And when you have 120,000 words and your editor says, we need this cut down to 100,000 words, what gets sacrificed first? Is it going to be plot or is it going to be character? And since I'm writing thrillers, it's the characters that have to get sacrificed. So you learn to be very economical and find ways to express your, have your characters come through um, to the best of the ability within the plot. Now, what'll happen is you'll get these readers who are very, not used to reading thrillers and who are used to having those um, long meandering passages that reminisce about things that happened in childhood or whatever. And to them, that is character development. And so they'll come along and read a thriller like mine that's you know had to focus on plot and had to find ways to get the characters inserted into that plot and they'll be like you know this is just you know there's really no character development or all that and by their standards that very well may be true but this is a story with a lot happening and a lot of moving pieces and i'm not allowed to do it in two hundred thousand words there's just no room for that right so a lot of it has to do with what what are you writing you know, if you are writing a story that's really just about um, exploring a family in their cabin by the lakes and, you know, two, a brother and a sister coming together after, you know, a lifetime of estrangement and working out their issues in this, you know, sort of rural setting, by all means, meander as much as you want. You know, there's really not a lot happening in a story like that. Action-wise, you have the space to do it. There's no no big complicated twisty things that have to all fit together. You're going to need the words, by all means, throw those scenes in there. But it's still going to feel weird to the reader that they're there if they're not somehow connected to the point. What's the point of the story? What are you? What are we actually telling the story about? And if it's completely unrelated, it's just going to feel out of place. Okay. I read this book one time. It, it's actually, it's like my favorite book of the last 20 years. And, and it's not called The Informationist, and so this, all right. And the story starts <laughs> with the character in the middle of doing something that helps to show who she is, but it does not tie in to the main story. This is something that happens really before the main story starts. So how is that different than, than what we were talking about earlier? See, I would have to know the book, read the book. It is the informationist. It's, no, it's not. It is. <laughs> okay. Well, then in that case, it is not unrelated because everything in that book ties together. And I didn't say it didn't tie together. It just wasn't part of that story. The, it, the story is about a different set of characters after this first story ends, after this first... Are you talking about the prologue? Yes. See, the prologue actually is showing the people that she's trying to find. It's showing what actually happened to them. It's showing 
what took place. Wait so, a minute. Maybe I'm not talking about the prologue. <laughs> but now I'm just curious because I just was listening to it the other day. And like the beginning of the book is when she is somewhere and she's going into the bar and she's changing his clothes and, and she's going from a guy to a girl and there's this rich industrialist type person that she needs to like she's getting this last piece of information okay, yeah, or this I, last I thing. Hear what you, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And I suppose I suppose you see and I'm not trying to make exceptions for myself. There's two two factors at play. One that was my first book, right? Um, and the second is that it's doing more than just showing the character. It's setting the scene for why she is where she's at. Why does she go back? It's answering questions in advance. Why does she go back? Why is she in the United States? Why does she have this ability? Why, it's setting all of that up in place so that as the story moves forward, those, as the questions start uh, as the story moves forward and we start seeing her do the, that again, mm-hmm. we've already had that baseline. And when it gets explained, as it gets explained, it's building out the character, who the character is. But it's still part of the story because every story has to start somewhere, right? So it's not this out-of-place scene where she is doing something that's not related. It is actually her getting called back to the United States. It is what she was doing. It was establishing the characters that would be coming into her life. We already have referenced Logan. We already have referenced Kate. We've already referenced the fact that she spends a lot of time abroad. So, and this is the deciding moment. As soon as she finishes that, she's finished up her job. She's ready to start. You know, there's a reason for her to come back to the United States. Now, if none of that had been established before she gets that call, then let's say we opened it with her arriving in the United States was actually how it originally started was her arriving in the United States. It was very confusing to understand what was going on because what, who is this person? You know, why is she here? And her past has as much to do with the present and who she is as a character, but we can't explain that till way later. We can't show that till way later. So what it's doing is lining up that moment for her getting called in, but it's also lining up why she's the person who's getting called in. So the action itself wasn't directly related to the story, but it wasn't throwaway just to establish her character. It was setting the scene for, and now she's being summoned home and she doesn't want to go. And here's why. And here's the, the relationship between the characters and it's getting all that lined up for what happens next. So it's almost like a tiny little prequel. It's not unrelated and it's not, not moving the story forward, if that makes any sense at all. Well, I mean, it helps to clarify the confusion in my mind, because that that opening scene um, is is what just locked me into the into the book, like immediately, because there's this stuff going on. And I was curious why, you know, why this, why this, why this? And it, it just and then, you know, once the story began to unfold, I was completely sold on the story and the characters and everything. So let's say that we take that same principle, right? And let's say we have a bank robber Mm -hmm. 
And we open the story with them outside a vault working on something that has nothing to do with the rest of the story. And they get a phone call that says, you have to quit the job. And because this other thing has happened. So then they are pissed that they have to leave the job. But there's a really good, in their mind, you don't know what it is, there's a really good reason for it, and they walk away, right? Did that scene have anything to do with the rest of the story or not? And you could think, well, the rest of the story isn't about, isn't going to take us back to that bank vault. It's going to be what continues on after they get the call. So was that related or not? And like I said, every story has to start somewhere. So if you don't start it there, where are you going to start it instead? If they get the call to come do this thing, if it starts with them walking in to where they got the call, then you've got a lot more explaining to do on the back end of the fact that they're a bank robber, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in cases like that, yeah, it's not really disconnected from the story and it's not in the middle of the story. It's not unrelated. It's just we're getting started. This is, we're in the middle of, we're, we're ramping up. We're in the middle of things. We don't show them getting out of bed in the morning and getting a call because that's boring. It doesn't tell us anything about who they are as a character. So I guess in some ways there's a very fine line. And, and what you're asking about and what I was talking about primarily at the beginning of this are slightly different things. So I can totally see why there's a confusion there. Because when I talk about having chapters or scenes that you're just showing a character's personality and it doesn't have anything to do with the story, I'm thinking like in the middle, you know, or just some random throwaway scene that takes us on a tangent that doesn't have anything to do with anything else. But if it's connected, if there's some way that it all ties in together, it's not gonna feel like that. And sometimes, you know, you, you've got to, like I said, you've got to start it somewhere. So figuring out where to start it is, you know, half the challenge. Okay, all right, good. Well, that answers that question. And I think that, you know, this was going to be the first of several questions, but it turns into a whole show. Yeah, so that means we can do the next show with more <laughs> questions. Yay! <laughs> all right, thanks. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you next week.